Hi, and thank you for tuning into the Fight Zone podcast. In this episode, I talk with the big fighting Irish. Ryan Spillane is IMF European Champion, IMF World Champion, and IMF Oceania 2020 Heavyweight Champion. He won the final on IMF Oceania 2020 with the fastest KO for the whole competition. Follow Ryan on his Facebook page, Ryan the Hook Spillane, Instagram, Ryan Spillane 101 World, or subscribe to his video walk in YouTube, all links in the description. I was very sleepy while doing this episode because I had to wake up early to talk with Ryan because of the time difference with Europe. We chatted about his way to stay in shape during the current lockdown, the Wimp to Warrior program and the Yacht MMA rule set. I hope you enjoy this as much sleepy as I was. Why do we fight? To protect home and family. To preserve balance and bring harmony. For our kind, the true question is, what is worth fighting for? The Fight Is All podcast. Okay, now it's better. (laughs) (laughs) We already started talking, but I did, was not recording. So, okay, that's going to be a good, good, good fail of it. Okay, again, story. (laughs) Um, So I... I started around 2015. I was um I was playing rugby uh, here in Munster and Cork at a kind of a fairly high level. So we have like an academy system. So you start in like clubs and you go through and your your all your clubs pick like the two top players and they go out and they play and then they kind of you you get at stages higher and higher. Um and rugby stops around May here in Ireland. So I was looking for something to do fitness wise. Um and a an old school friend of mine was was doing kickboxing and or gym, which was back then called K2C Martial Arts. Um, and I went down and I just did it as a fitness more thing. And um, I remember the first day was double legs. And we coming from a rugby background, that was my bread and butter. And uh, on the first day, I picked up um, my head coach, Liam O'Griffin, and I slammed him onto the floor by accident. And we like slid underneath the shutter and he cut his head. So he, has, he had like two stitches across here in his face. So I kind of had to stay after that, but uh, it became a situation where I just kind of, I was training more and more, and then I kind of did less and less rugby, and then it was more MMA, and then it became a point where I just quit rugby altogether and focused MMA full on, and that was around, I think I focused fully on MMA, I think it was 20, 2017-ish, maybe, no, sorry, I started all together in 2012, and it was 2015 I started full on. Um, so I had my first MMA fight on like a small regional show in Dublin. Um, I lost by third round TKO. Bit of a weird stoppage. I thought the fight could have went on a bit further, but I was stopped. Um, and then, then we kind of had our first kind of um, introduction to IMAF. I went over to the um, 2015 uh, Europeans in Birmingham. Um, had one fight, won that. Second fight, lost. And then from there that became my only kind of fight, my regular fights were IMAF tournaments. Um, on the regional on the regional circuit here in Ireland, it became very hard for me to find fights. There wasn't many heavyweights and I had to either go travelling to England to find fights and I'd pull outs and, you know, shows getting cancelled and so that. So IMAF became a regular fight all the time. Um, so then I fought in Prague in the 20... 20- 16 or 2017 Europeans and came out against uh, Ermin uh, Smijic 
the the former world heavyweight champion um, and he knocked me out in about 13 seconds um, I landed a fairly good leg kick before that I, I pressed forward my hands were down and he threw a big overhand and knocked me out um, they went back to the world then I went to the world in the first ever world in Bahrain um, won my first fight lost second fight so I came out of bronze with that um, then like, I took my own kind of personal time and it kind of had a few had a few losses on the regional circuit that shouldn't have happened and um, I kind of retired, semi-retired from MMA and I moved out to Australia, I moved out to Perth and I lived there for about four months um, and there I kind of find this, I found the spark again and me and Liam kind of sorted out a few problems that were wrong with me, uh, went back and did the Worlds again um, so yeah, no sorry, then I did the first Worlds in Bahrain um, one one fight, lost second fight, bronze medal. Then went back to Ireland. Um, again, loads of pullouts, loads of shows getting cancelled, uh, and then decided to do the Europeans in Romania, and that's where I won the first my first ever IMAF gold. Um, had two fights against a, a Finland a Finland fighter and Bulgaria. Uh, won two of those fights, kind of around the minute and a half mark then I think it was three four months after that had a second world in Bahrain won that uh, had my first two fights were both stoppages uh, submission and TKO uh, third fight then went to the distance went three rounds and caught him in a leg lock uh, and then the fourth fight was meant to had and then the opponent pulled out and there was a bit of a, a weird circumstance there where he um he was medically cleared to fight, but just never saw the, the weigh-ins and kind of decided himself he wasn't going to fight, uh, which was a bit of a... pissed me off a bit because I had worked so hard and um, had kind of had an injury leading off a third fight and I had healed that up myself. I was ready to go and I put a lot into that and kind of took away from my whole glory that I never got to have that, that gold medal fight. Um, then in 2019, I had... Uh, a, re- a nerve fight with the Polish dude I went three rounds with in a show called um, Rain MMA um, that was the first ever show in Dubai and Kerr Brown the president of IMAF was there and that was a cool spectacle I think we're all IMAF fighters from Ireland on it it was Colin Maher um, Azael Azael was team France for IMAF but uh, was training in SPG Ireland he fought on it um an Icelandic dude who was another SPG guy, he fought in as well. He fought in IMAF. I think he won. I think he won a silver in the 2018 Worlds or 2017 Worlds. Um, and then went back to the Worlds in 2019, and um, a few things went wrong. And I, I took kind of, um, I took the piss, as the Irish would say, on a diet and diet situation and train situation, and kind of, I didn't really want to fight that, and I didn't have the heart and. Uh, I came out in the second round against a Russian and he had caught me with a big overhand and clean knocked me out. But that wasn't a fight. Um, I shouldn't have lost that. And I kind of, it was my own fault, really. I, I lost that fight myself. Um, so immediately came off that fight, uh, sorted, out my, uh, sorted out my nutrition, um, sorted out my training, uh, kind of brought everything back to the basics. And then we were training in Ireland in the start of 2020 for a fight. Uh, and I was meant to fight in the show and I got pulled out 
and then IMAF came out of nowhere and they were like, oh, do you want to come over to uh, Australia for the Oceanic Open? And me and Liam, we couldn't turn, that, turn down that. Um, so then they came out to fight. Uh, so it was three of us. There was, it was four of us first. Then they came three. So Dane um, and oh, um, Alexander fought in the first round. Uh, Dane, Dane teak the old stoppage in the second round, I think. Uh, and then I fought him then the final and I, I TKO'd him about 30 seconds. So that's kind of a little snip into my career. Yeah. So if you, you had a little up and downs, but yeah, the thing is like, well, that's, that's with, with every, every fight. And that's why uh, I think amateur circuit is, is so important because it allows you to do your mistakes. You don't want to do these, uh, any mistakes when you become professional. By, by my opinion, now with, uh, with IMMF, if it was me, I wouldn't turn professional before I become world champion. Yeah, so that's that's the big one now. It's you become you become world champion in math, and then you're kind of ready to turn pro. Like it's a big thing. Um, we figured here in Ireland that you could like you could turn pro like after five fights on the local circuit, and you could fight, you know, the local guys and all that, and you could go pro and fight in Ireland, England, but you'd never come up against you know like um a real Russian wrestler who's been wrestling his whole life, or the Kazakhstanians who were just amazing everywhere, or a Polish striker or you know the Bulgarians they're, they're all teams that are amazing at the amateur circuit and you wouldn't meet them unless you know and you're in the UC and you're you have the high ranking Russians there and you know you have Kazakhstanis and high promotions in, in the pro and all that but you wouldn't you wouldn't meet them at your local circuit or on the pro circuit in the small you know Ireland England and even Australia I was talking to a few guys there as well and they were saying you wouldn't meet those high level guys unless you went to an IMAF tournament so it's good to experience that at um an amateur, an amateur you know, level. Yeah, because uh, the main, the main difference between uh, I'm from five years in Australia, from Bulgaria, born in Russia. Uh, the main difference between the system of, of of the MMA sport, like in the Western world and in the Eastern, back in Eastern Europe, is uh, uh, back back there is very much based uh, over like uh, uh, the Olympic sports, like boxing and wrestling. So like we have tournaments there. Uh, even before IMMF, we had a lot of uh, a lot of amateur tournaments. Which are tournament like uh, same structure? We have couple of fights for one or two days. Like it's uh, like it's the same was in amateur boxing, kickboxing. Okay, wrestling is obviously like this, and combat some as well. Uh, and then uh, the guys they had a lot of chance, you know, to gain experience in the years. Because if you imagine, if you compete regularly, if you're healthy. If you compete every every month or every other month, so you either compete amateur MMA or combat somewhere, and you have like two, three fights, two, three fights, two, three fights, which means on the end of the year you you might have like 20 fights experience. While guys here in Australia, especially because that's my overview of it, if you're good, you you hardly hardly do three three fights in a year because people stop uh, uh, stop accepting fights with you, and mm -hmm. that's a problem for the good guys. Uh, and then uh, you start you start as an amateur because they're single fights that and uh, and they're like oh you you fight with this guy or fight with that guy but more and more you start winning especially for the good guys it becomes hard to find a phone because no one wants to fight with them because they're already a bit more experienced but the other guys oh I don't want to fight this guy I want to want someone else you know it's just, and it becomes hard and uh, and and what happens is uh, in in the moment they they become good they start. The, the, the curve of, of uh, experience start to come down because they have less fights. 
you know, when you have less fights, uh, it's it's very hard to keep the level up, and they need it because so they're already on their their path as, as an athlete. So that's why it's very important to have uh, MMA MMA tournaments because then you don't know. I know it's a bit more stressful, but uh, the, the thing is like this: you have to prepare yourself overall. Like uh, I know by myself when I was competing in in in, in combat, some you don't know what what kind of guy you you have. Like it's might be striker, might be very good grappler, might be like might be like Uzbeki wrestler or like you don't know. You know, you just have to have to be good overall. But the thing is, once you go through this uh, through this experience, you're forced. To, to learn the sport as, as a whole to, to be complex and I think that's very beneficial for for the guys and from the other point of view like uh, looking if if you want to become professional because I think the beauty of IMF is like you might stay amateur if you want and that's good because uh, yeah some champions I was talking with uh, Mukhaif, Mohammed Mukhaif like yesterday some champions yeah they, they go is focus on, on, on professional fighting but there are people who who train MMA for fun and uh, they have other jobs and the thing is uh, by by working for IMF like I want this sport because that's we I, I guess we're biased but we both agree that's the most awesome sport in the world it's super fun yeah. and uh, but the big problem with why MMA is not so popular as let's say the most popular combo sport which is jiu-jitsu is because it's very hard step from training to competing because it's scary you know like it's in, in, in Jiu-Jitsu, everyone competes. White belts, blue belts, everyone's competing because, you know, you compete on your own level. The problem with, with uh, MMA is like to step from training to competing is a big step. And uh, here comes amateur circuit and IMF because, yeah, you can go on your regular tournament, regular, like your state championship, and you compete with guys on your, on your level. Of course, when you go over this one and uh, become like national champion and qualify for national team, yeah, go for the national team. And if you're able to win the world, okay, if you're the best amateur in the world, then if you want, you can you can turn professional. And that makes sense for me. And it's safer pathway. And I think this is also beneficial because uh, many professionals in the moment that they reach UFC, they're already too injured to, uh, to from there. They're pretty much like on their peak or like a bit after. Mm. But IMF champions, I, I reckon they're pretty sa- safe as healthy-wise. So they they still a bit away from their potential. So once as an IMF world champion you reach UFC, you can actually become world world champion. Because you're safe, you don't have so much injuries, the, the rules are a bit a bit a bit softer as as they, they can be, but still you know very very cool. So you're actually very preserved and you have big chance you know to to do, do good in a professional sport. So I think it's I think it's 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 awesome and it's it's really good that uh, you guys the, the athletes at those days have those chances. Unfortunately, I mean, it's locked down and all competitions are cancelled, so I don't know. Hope's not yeah. going to be too long. I know because a few, a few guys I was talking to were planning to go to Mexico and um, what was their term coming up? I think Mexico and South Africa. I know, I know Mohammed was planning to go both of those. And Kazakhstan as well. Uh, I had a guy who, who was preparing for Kazakhstan and there's going to be a Yao Championship there, so no. Yeah. Everything is cancelled. Yeah, so I hopefully kind of it can all turn around and the competitions can come back up. But it's just you're both kind of wait right now. But for myself, it's kind of I I'm still training away. Um, I I have keys to our gym, so I can go into our gym and I can just kind of you know hit weights and do kind of circuits and just kind of tip away. So 
when it does end, then I'm ready to go, really. You can't really wait around and get fat. You have to kind of do what you can. Well, I think now it's a, it's a challenge for, for the athletes and that's going to separate the ones who really want it from the others because we have a good excuse not to train. But at the same time, for a competitive athlete, uh, it's, a, it's a good chance to get ahead because pretty much most of people are not training. So if you're training now, you're really not getting ahead. Mm. And when, when this is all over, uh, if, if you have been training, you have the edge over the others. So it's a good challenge. It's a, it's a bit mentally tough. Uh, I had times that I had to train by myself. It's, it's really hard. You have to set a routine. You have to keep pushing, especially when you don't have like a recent goal to, to work at. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to be challenging. But at the end of the day, our sport is all about challenge. So I think, I yeah. think we'll, we'll go yeah, away. Age on your own, so you kind of have to train your own a few times too. It's nice having training partners to help you out, but... You're in the cage on your own. Yeah. Well, uh, it happened to me a couple of times. Uh, uh, I was working as an engineer and I, w- I work in Laos. Uh, and uh, I was building a, a water power plant. And it was high in the mountain. So, like, uh, the the house of the company was the only house in the village. Everything was bamboo hut. There was nothing. Uh, my wife stayed stay with me for two months. But it was... She could, couldn't bear it. it. Was too boring for her. She she went in Greece, uh, and uh, I I was there by myself. And, like there's nothing, you know. Like uh, and uh, the thing in Laos is uh, is uh, is holds the record of he- heavily bombed country in the world. What happened is uh, during um, during the Vietnam War. Uh, uh, in this in this mountain region, that's where the Viet Cong uh, uh, gorillas was hiding. So what Americans decided to do, uh, they decided to carpet bomb the the whole the whole area, the whole country. It's a pretty small country, and uh, they was they was bombing, bombing them like carpet bombing. That's they drop bombs like all over the place for eight years. For uh, what what is it like eight years? I think. Eight years, like every ten minutes. So imagine, like every ten minutes, the 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 earth is like pretty much like exploding all over the place. So then uh, the people they lived, uh, they went in the caves under the ground, and their whole city is under the ground. They they cinema there, like uh, kindergartens, everything. The whole world was underground. They pretty much like pushed them in, into the Stone Age. But the thing is, there was, uh, there was in this case, like you, you can enter. They, they like they over the place in this city. Uh, it's uh, that it was. It was not actually the city is under the ground. Above the city is just village, you know, just just huts now. Like there's nothing, nothing is, is going on. They 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 trying to rebuild now. So I found one one of these these rooms in the caves, like set up uh, small mats and make a make a bamboo dummy, and we're just like. Dreaming yeah. stuff yeah, because I was gonna go crazy, you know, like just training by myself. <laughs> just yeah, it's crazy. It's very funny when uh, when I was living, uh, uh, there was a lady who was taking care for the house, and she found my dummy. <laughs> she thought that's my god. <laughs> she got scared; didn't want to touch it. <laughs> it was a bit awkward. Said, no, no, that's my graphic dummy. But they 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 don't speak English, you know. They thought it's kind of idol or something. <laughs> Because I didn't want to scan, I just chucking into the uh, in, in the cupboard. 
<laughs> and then uh, she was clean. She found it. Like, ah, <laughs> voodoo. <laughs> yeah, crazy times. Uh, you you you're very tall. <laughs> you, six, you, six five, six five and a bit and a half ish, I think. Yeah, I, I was watching you, and uh, remember the the Irish guy that uh, came to came to greet you. He's a friend of mine, and he's a pretty tall guy as well, on on Oceania. And uh, oh, I was Shane. His name. Shane. Shane. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, so yeah, he's pretty tall, tall guy. And, like he was like, yeah, <laughs> just two stairs above. Yeah, uh, tell me about your 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 walk a bit. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, Sorry, what was the question? Tell me about your your channel on uh, YouTube. It's pretty cool. You're making oh, cool yeah. videos. Um, so um, Liam, our head coach, was kind of pushing us for kind of think outside the box to kind of push our um, um our like um brands. So I decided to. I had bought a camera over Christmas and I decided to start getting back I used to make them like uh, two or three years ago with a GoPro so I got a better camera so I decided to make them and I kind of want to show what it's like to be a fighter just kind of the ins and outs of, of a training camp and all that kind of stuff and I'm enjoying right now it's kind of I've, I've challenge right now is kind of to keep videos going up because I'm not training as much so I'm thinking of ideas and I'm gonna, the next video I'm going to make is um, I'm going to react to my old fights and kind of break them down and kind of go through all the stuff and all that stuff so. I think on the next one, I'm going to have one on a diet. and It's just something uh, different that I can um, push the brand of Ryan's plan out there instead of just having like a, an Instagram story or you know, Facebook stuff going up. It's, it's different. It's not many fighters doing it, so different. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I watched a couple of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're cool. They're, they're very fresh. Yeah, it's sure cool because it loads of footage. Yeah, because uh, you know it's the, the fighters have different approach on that. You know, some people uh, wants to keep everything they do like kind of hidden. You know, and uh, with those stuff, you kind of uh, you kind of open you know like uh, open the public to your preparation and to what you do. You're just like whatever you know, just showing off. Yes, yeah. it's kind of people always see what they see like six minutes of a fighter and now they don't see like the the eight, ten weeks leading up to that that they train to get up to that. They just see a winner and a loser, you know, they don't see all the progress someone made to get to that point of the cage. Like so that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get across and it's hard enough, but trying best to get that across now. Yeah, you're very right. People people actually think for us, well, oh these guys go for uh, like these ten minutes, like fifteen minutes. The cage, but it's a competition is not 10 minutes. Competition is like three, four months with, with all the preparation and stuff. I remember when I was in the university and, and I was competing actively. And uh, one of my professors was, uh, you know, I, 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 I it was, I think, um, what I was doing, I was, I think I, it was an exam or something. And I was like a bit bashed because I was after competition. And he was like, oh, are you the guy that's funny? Because at that time they were showing uh, kickboxing on TV and stuff. So like, they kind of know me, and I say, yeah, I'm the guy who's funny. Well, everyone in the university know that I'm the guy who's funny. I was doing pro fights at that time, and, and he was like, oh, how long you fight? And uh, I was fighting mostly K1, so that's uh, uh, three three minutes rounds, so that's uh, like 12 minutes. I said, it's it's about 12 minutes. 
And he said, oh, that's easy. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not easy. You get that. Oh, easy. How tall you can get for 12 minutes? <laughs> it's a whole lot of different 12 minutes. Yeah. These, these 12 minutes can be walk time. <laughs> be like two days. Oh, yeah. So much thing happens. It's, it's very hard to explain this perspective to, to people who, who never who never been in the sport. Like, it's just... It, it, they really run so like it, I think like your brain your brain is working like on super speed because you're in danger and uh, yeah. your 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 concentration is so in that so many things happen in, in your brain like you see a punch fine you say oh you should go you go out should go in or should go, you should or you should shoot it's just like so many stuff and then all this thing he process happening while the punch the punch is flying to to your head. Then you take decision, you go to do something. You just so many stuff happens in your brain. It's crazy. It's mental. It's um, it's it's always a hard um feeling to describe. You know, being in the cage, and that's why I think Wimp Warrior is amazing, and how you can take regular people who you know can train for six months and then experience that whole, you know, the adrenaline of the cage, you know, the crowd roaring on, the feeling of losing or winning. You know, it's the only kind of it's the describe it it's the best way to show someone what it's like without John yeah the Wimp Dwyer program is it's really good to show people John what a fighter goes through in kind of a short amount of time yeah and it's it's it's, it's a really awesome experience because uh, whatever happens in a fight uh, I would I would never get this experience back it just it just when you get getting the in, into a fight is uh, uh, you put your mask down. You you're the one who you are. You know, like because to be honest, like everyone in everyday life uh, wear a kind of mask. We kind of uh, present ourselves in a certain way that we want to be. But in a fight, everything is stripped off. It's you and the other guy, and uh, you're who you are. And uh, by by coaching and, and training now, like already like a bit of years behind it. You can see the chart of a guy while he's fighting. It's, you know, it's this guy's aggressive, this guy's more calm, and, you know, this guy's a bit sneaky. You, you can see that way when someone is fighting. Your, your chart is, is pretty, very stripped off while, while you're fighting. It's, you're very exposed. Uh, what was, uh, have you, did you went through Wimp, Wimp to Warrior or you just... Uh... Oh, I was, um, so I'm, I'm one of the coaches down here for the corporate door. So we've had six seven seasons at the stage i was kind of one of the head coaches for the first two and then kind of stepped back and then I've, i i coach regularly here and there but not all the time but i i went i went through the full program coaching with uh, season one and season two. Oh, cool cool that's awesome uh we was about to start with to warrior here in uh, in gold coast and i was I was going to be one of the coaches, mostly uh, for, for wrestling and grappling. Mm. But uh, for some reason, we, we couldn't couldn't get enough people here, so they postponed. So I don't know what's going on for the moment. Yeah, we but kind of had um, our, our first season had um, we had sixteen feathers, and then it kind of it slowly got shorter and shorter. And now we've got a huge we've got a huge cast now for the seasons. But it's hard to get people to train the six m. It's a tough one. Yeah. Well, I don't know, like, the problem here on the Gold Coast, because live on the Gold Coast, is everyone is laid back, surfing, and yeah. it's, it's a bit, it's a bit harder to, 
to put to put people into into this and fight so it's just it's different i think that in our days more fight culture mm. and uh maybe maybe that's why it's, it's different mentality so you, you say you're, you're coaching a bit uh do you coaching in the mo you do, are you coaching at the moment or you're just constrained on your own preparation at the moment um i coach a few classes in our own gym in spg i would if um i kind of don't have a regular class here or there if someone has can't make it you know if they're a former two coaches can't make a class i would jump in and coach there or if liam our head coach needed help with one of our kickboxing classes i jump in i don't really co- i used to coach regularly a class i used to have a class on a monday at a certain time but i kind of stepped away from that because i would do a lot of traveling to dublin to train with john cavan up and spg up in dublin um so if i had to go away at a certain day if I had classes, I would have to reschedule and stuff. So I kind of just more, I step in and help if someone's late for a class or something like that. I don't have a regular class anymore, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, about your preparation, uh, you, I, I saw you winning by striking here in Australia. Uh, but I also saw you have, uh, I think you have two wings, but leg walks and stuff. I have, so I have a um, toehold finish. I have a... Uh, two strangle lock finishes and one heel hook finish the heel hook finish was in like an um in the show in dubai was like a semi-pro rule set um and we allowed heel hooks and so i caught him with a heel hook there so four leg lock finishes and then i've loads more leg lock finishes in in jitsu competitions and stuff so my go-to is leg locks oh you you like leg walks well i i mentioned that because obviously coming by from some background they i, I like those stuff and they say oh that's a I was looking in your in your stats and like, oh, that's a tall guy who's doing leg work. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think um, I think we had Frank Mir down in our gym. Uh, Frank was here for a seminar just before I left for Australia, and he was saying not many um, not many heavyweights do leg locks and stuff. So no, not at all. It's it's actually pretty rare. Mm. But even submissions, I, I think, because heavyweights are normally they stand, they get a big TKO, and that's it. Like so, I'm I kind of like showing the more technical side. So. I have an omoplata finish on my record as well, which I'm extremely proud of. I think I'm like the only, I think there's only three heavyweights in in professional and amateur who pull one off, and I was the first at any weight class to pull it off for IMAF. I think I was the first toe hold for IMAF as well, and I'm pretty sure I still am the only toe hold. I'm I'm not sure, but I think I am. Yeah, the toe hold through in IMAF is a bit weird because it has to be straight toe hold. You cannot like twist the uh, twist the ankle. You can, but you can reap the leg because um, so reap because I've I've asked Mark Goddard at every tournament, so you're allowed you're allowed to reap the leg, so you can actually bend the whole leg over. So it's, you can pretty much do a um, a bending one. You just can't go for the heel lock. That's the only thing you're not allowed. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the only thing you can't do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That 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 was what an awful rules as well. It's you you can reap the leg, but you cannot really twist the ankle. Uh, the yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you train, do you uh, do you train overall like MMA as a as a, as a complete class, or you have uh, separate days that you concentrate on on striking or grappling or wrestling? Um, you... I kind of I would do a lot, a lot of my striking in the morning. Um, so I would kind of do striking, and then I would I would finish with um, either a bit of strength conditioning or stretching or all that. The match of the morning is because I, I kind of have my own free time with my own head coach, so we do a lot of you know, technical drills, striking wise, and all that, um, and pad work. And then at the night, then it kind of 
we have a fight team class every night and we kind of either focus on, on wrestling for MMA or jiu-jitsu for MMA. We kind of don't do like raw wrestling or raw jiu-jitsu. We have those classes in the gym, but for our fight team, we kind of just really stick to the stuff that works for MMA. Um, so we have one night for wrestling, uh, one night for jiu-jitsu, then we have our sparring class, um, and then for strike, and then we have a kickboxing class and all that. So we don't we kind of focus on MMA as a whole, but we break it down into either you know, wrestling, cage wrestling, and jiu-jitsu. How uh, how many days you train a week? Uh, I would train six, five to six days, and then have one kind of rest day, and then it'd be kind of two sessions a day, and then kind of one set one day, and then would be kind of one session. Mm -hmm. So it's about uh, 11, 12 sessions uh, uh, a yeah. week. Yeah, cool. <sighs> I, something slipped my mind. I was thinking about something. <laughs> oh, shit. It's, it's early morning here. It's, it's not like uh, you... It's... It's not evening time for you, and you 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 arrive, but I was just I was just waking up. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's still like having a bit of coffee, <laughs> a big cup. Mm. So okay, but uh, at that situation here now, like uh, when the gym is closed, uh, how structure your training? Obviously, you cannot do much partner work. So what what's your What's your escape of that? How we how we go around to, to, to keep training? I'm using this time to really focus on strength and conditioning. It's kind of a thing I kind of lacked um, previously. So I'm really kind of um, nailing down that kind of element of it. Um, it can work by car too. So we have, a, we have a row on our gym and I'm just kind of beating the miles down on that. Um, and I'm doing a lot of striking stuff on my own. So bag work and a lot of, I, I do a lot of drill work with cones. So I lay cones out and I have certain drills, you know, working on jabs, you know, check hooks, all that kind of stuff. Um, kind of not really doing partner stuff right now because a, a lot of our guys, you know, they're probably still working, you know, and they could have it and stuff. So it's kind of partner drills are, are kind of laying off and I'm kind of focusing this time more on myself and focusing on the strength and conditioning side of it and getting as much drills as I can done on my own. It's hard, but I'm, I'm pushing through and I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting a good... Like I, I just did a bit of circuit class there before this on my own and I set up a load of circuits and I got a really good sweat on and it was a lot of kind of um, I you know I'd, uh, kind of wrestling kind of techniques down at one circuit you know, you know other, other circuits were focused on you know, ground and pound and there were striking ones and there was kind of box jumps and roar and so all that it was a good workout um, it's hard not having partners and not you know, doing jiu-jitsu and wrestling and stuff but When it's all over, then I can I can lay back into that. Then everyone now is sad to have to train like a monks, you know, yeah. like uh, these old kung fu movies when the guy goes in the mountain and trains by himself and uh, <laughs> yeah, and like, he comes well, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 weird, man. So uh, strength conditioning for uh, for heavyweights is 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 a bit tricky thing because of the the heavy bones. So. Uh, 
how 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 you structure if if you wanna you wanna lay this one out uh, no like how many days you actually do like strength uh, how many days you do uh, explosive training and how many days you dedicate to conditioning and how how you probably do this leading to a fight because it's it's easy to to not easy but let's say it's more popular how you work with the with some of who is a bit more uh, towards the white weights because they can take a lot of uh, a lot of damage and jumps which is not always the case with the with the heavy athletes you know heavy athletes are a hard time you know to push them running on heavy so it's not good for their joints as well how how you your is your personal approach and for your coaches about that how um i kind of it's a hard one like for the last fight i didn't like i used to have strength conditioning coaches and for the last camp i kind of just kind of focused more on the skills element of it and the way I kind of focused it was I would do a session in the morning, a kind of a light kind of more technical session. So kind of five fives on the pads, you know, some drills before and after. And then I would um, alternate days. So I would do one day, it would be just cardio, mainly the rower. I, I live in the rower for this camp. Um, or the, I, I went and used an assault bike or a ski urger. Uh, and then the other day then I would focus on strength, be kind of, very compound stuff so like squats deadlifts um so um oh can't think of right now uh, i do like rdls um split squats all that kind of stuff really kind of basic movements um just to kind of jump just kind of build up that strength i, I i'm not a, you know, i'm not qualified to get into coach i'm kind of doing this all by guesswork really i i kind of need to get someone that's my next plan is to get someone who actually knows around about and get a detailed plan together. That's what I'm going to do for the next camp and all that. But right now I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of tipping away myself and kind of, you know, we, we know, we know kind of bits from you know, being around other foundation coaches and we have a few in our gym who kind of have given me a bit of help, but it's more just kind of, I'm learning myself just what exercises are tough and it's all of Googling really. Um, it's something I shouldn't really be, you know, leaving the chance. Um, I did it for the last camp. Next camp now, I'm going to take someone on properly and guide me. Really, so that's that's the next that's the next thing for me, really. Yeah, that's the case with many amateur athletes. They kind of uh, because uh, in the sessions, uh, you know, you have limited time with your coach and uh, he, he, the coaches. Of course, you know, it's just not not. not not other choice. They have to concentrate on your development as, as uh, skill-wise. You know your techniques, um, your sparring, your partner work. So you kind of have to figure out uh, your your strength condition yourself. And uh, it's it's uh, it's not easy for amateur fire to to get uh, another coach on board because uh, you guys has, not everyone has the has the opportunity to do that. Mm. And uh, they had to do a lot of a lot of work by yourself. So yeah, it's it's interesting everyone's approach about that. It just everyone have to find his own way, especially uh, we with the with the big guys because the strength conditioning days is very tricky. Uh, yeah, it's it's not like white weights. You cannot like white weights can pretty much like a Thai guys. You know, let them run every morning. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've had enough ankle and knee injuries that like it's kind of. I can't really put a lot of weight on my on my legs. Like I can't really jump around the place and all that. My legs go either way, and it could be game over. Yeah. Oh, I I was running a what? Actually, I I start doing grappling because of because of running because I hated it. 
uh, I was I was doing kickboxing, and uh, I, I, I I'm lightweight. I was competing on 67-71 weight class. So 67, I started. Then when I got a bit older, more muscular, I have to fight in 71. But the thing is, like uh, as a kickbox, you run every morning. That's it. You go, you go. We had like this big complex there where the gym was. You go in the stadium, make your road work, and then do do couple a bit of pad work or like a bit of bag work, and that was the morning session. So, and I was so sick of this doing for 10 years. You know, just like I was hating when when to see the the red cover of the stadium. I see, oh, like it's just another morning. Just hate it. it because it's boring. Running is very boring. And uh, there was a. There was a sambo section there, and they were training in the morning. And I popped out there once and said, "Oh, guys, can I like just join you because like I'm sick of running?" And that that's how I actually started grappling. And I didn't tell him a kickboxing coach. And uh, when he figured out that I actually go to go to wrestle there, he's like, "Oh, like stop doing this thing. You you start doing clinches, and it's like uh, it messes up your game." He he was hating it. And then uh, when he actually forbid me to do that. Before before competition, because he said, "Oh, you you start clinching too much." Maybe he was right from his perspective, but I was kind of get hooked because you know grappling is very addictive, and I start hiding from him and going out to to roll with the, with the guys and trying not to clinch in the gym so he doesn't get pissed off. <laughs> yeah, it was very fun. That's why I actually started like, mixing up, but just just by chance, just because I was super bored from running. I hate running every morning. Yeah, no, I hate running as well. It's, I I can't do it at all. That's why I found the roar really good. It was kind of a was carrying that I could do that wasn't as boring, really. Yeah, yeah. It's it, as a kickboxer, it's just it's just a stunt. You just run. You know, you 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 run pretty much every morning. Most of your conditioning is is also like based on running, because the the nature of the sport is very explosive. You you don't need so isometric and uh, muscle endurance like it is in 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 MMA sport. So it's 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 just stunt at that time was just running, running. You know, like. You do running on rounds, long long distance running, sprints, but it's so damn running, <laughs> so boring. Yeah, I, I I hold huge respect for uh, for this for the Olympic athletes in the uh, in uh, this basic disciplines, running and stuff. Imagine if you have to train for this, it's just so mentally tough. You just run all the time, and that that goes for ten years before you reach Olympic and stuff. It's so Mental. mentally tough. It's just yeah, we we had to, uh, uh, and in this complex because this was like uh, uh, related from communistic times. They had all sports together. It's a big complex. We had the uh, some of the uh, Bulgarian uh, Olympic runners. You know, like uh, Yvette Wall was training. He, she's she's very very famous champion now in Bulgaria for for short distance running. And these guys, these guys and girls, they are running every day, every day, sprints running, sprints running, and a bit of conditioning and uh, weight training. And I, I reckon, you know, when they're doing weight training, it's like, yeah, <laughs> fun. Breaks, yeah, it's so, it's so, so mentally tough. I that that that's why I like so much the combo sport because every training is fun. Like it's it's different. Like not, it's very hard, you know, two sessions to be like same as each other. Every day happens something else. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, every day is a new day kind of thing. You're never never doing the same thing. Well, you're always doing the same thing kind of over and over again, but it's it's a kind of a change. You know, one day it could be striking, next day it could be wrestling, you know, jiu-jitsu, you know, sparring, strength conditioning. That's what I found was the best thing. I, I could never go into a gym and just lift weights the whole time. That's all I'm doing. So, 
That's why I love martial arts. Yeah, and also like uh, one day uh, your your training partner may caught you in something. They say, "Oh, this guy caught me like this." He calls you second time. Oh, damn, he's getting good at this, and they try to figure out how to how to escape from that. And they, you 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 grow and you think, then you figure out how to how to count him. Then he has to do the same. Just go back and forth. It's very it's very interesting. But that's that's why I think that this this sport uh, is has to be like more popular because it's way more entertained than any other sport even if you you guys are champions and you're good but even for the other people like who who train this for fun it's, it's very entertaining sport it's, it's fun and it's way more interesting even if you're just fan of the sport to to watch a, watch a fight if you know what's going on mm. because because now MMA is so popular and uh, you have uh, all these people watching MMA and when you when you hear them commenting it's like Bro, just just go train a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like IMAF pathway will, will bring a lot more casual fans into sport, and hopefully, when it becomes Olympic sport, then it'll kind of it'll bring more um, people into sport. And then you have the the whole cadets and the youth system as well, which is it's fantastic. It's kind of it's really up in the sport, and it's 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 fantastic to see. Yeah. Do you guys have uh, SBG is pretty good, uh, pretty big gym. Uh, now, do you guys have some uh, uh, some Yelts competing in, in the Yelts yes. In our in, in our own gym in Cork, we have um, I think we had four youths or cadets go over to Rome last year, and um, they were all like killers. And we thought they were all going to be shoe-ins for gold medals, and they went over there and they actually had really really tough fights and none the medal, but they were like they they learned valuable valuable experiences and they're all. A few of them kind of got little part-time jobs and saved up so they can get ready for the next tournament. And they all had their money ready for Rome this year, and probably maybe cancel now. So it's kind of it's a bit of a a bad experience, but they're all ready for the next tournament, and it's it's huge to see. Like, as when I when I first started, that there there was nothing like that. We had like small shows where you would fight, you know, proper uh, amateur rule sets. Like, it was dangerous for a youth, but. The new cadet system is, is really, really cool. Yeah, I really like it as well because it allows them to compete often and a lot. And uh, these guys are getting good. Uh, uh, while you guys was fighting on Oceania, um, I was managing the uh, the yacht competition in the other room where he was actually warming up. Ian, me and my coach Liam were watching that. It was actually really cool. Yeah, and that's, that's the third one we were doing here in Australia. And uh, first, uh, the first one was, uh, you know, the guys was kind of figuring out. But uh, now on the third one, like most of the guys has already went, went through two, three competition. You see how they adapt the rules and they start like, start playing the rules. Because uh, on the first one, pretty much everyone was, uh, you know, playing uh, a bit awkwardly without the, without the headshots. But mm. now on the third comp, we can see them. They actually adapt to the rules and they start being tricky. And uh, they start, oh, like that, 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 that's cool, you know. Like these, these guys, you know, they, they adapt very fast. And it was, it, this competition was was nice, you know. You you see like uh, some of them already fought each other a couple of times. They go back and forth. So it it was it was nice to see how how this is developing. And I think that this has a big future. So it's it's good. Mm, definitely, it's it's it definitely. Um... We bring a lot more people into sport, like because you can have kids who can train, and instead of waiting until they're 17 or 18 to make their amateur debut, they can they can train away and learn their craft and have competitions where they're they can become world champions at 
you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's the most important. They get comfortable with the rule set. Uh, with uh, it's not a jiu-jitsu competition because it's refereed as MMA. You, they have to keep their control, uh, keep top position. You know, like uh, uh, 16, 17, they have ground pound in the body, so they have to like keep yeah. in uh, free, free the hands so they can they can mark ground and pound. So this you can easily transfer once uh, once you know how to keep a good pin and free free your limb to. Know to land strikes, you can easily transfer these strikes to the head once once you get get into into other force. So it's really good, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really into that. I was working hard for all those three ones, but yeah, I'm I'm happy you know from the results, and I think these these guys are really, getting really good. And uh, looking forward to the once when this is over to the to the outcomes. It's gonna be very interesting. Uh, yeah. See, see them, see them competing on, on the on the world championship. It's going to be very interesting how how the different countries are, you know, like figuring out the the rules. Here. Like, mm. it's it's interesting. It was challenging for me as a coach. Uh, uh, one of my guys actually won this one uh, in on Oceania, the out ones. And when we started first with him, I was like, I never fought this way. It was just he was always we were I was trying to figure out. And uh, I was actually watching a lot of your uh, Kyokushin karate videos. Just to figure out how to, how to put the striking together without uh, attacking the head. Yeah, it's it's very very challenging. It was it was challenging, and but in the same time, like the finals, man, the coach we have to really have to think for something different. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, all right, brother. So hard to talk about next plans <laughs> because we don't yeah. know what, what's going on. Uh, it's a hard one, really, but um. I think my um, my days days are amateur kind of are numbered really. I I I feel like it'll be a pro debut fairly soon. Yeah, looking for towards for pro debut once once eventually this is over. Yeah. Well, you 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 achieved you achieved good results. You're European champion, world champion. I think you you went through the mill. So mm. yeah, I've I've made my I've kind of I've experienced everything as an amateur. So I've like I've I've a fairly terrible amateur record, but that doesn't matter. I turn pro, that disappears, and then I can I can really kind of perfect my craft. Then, well, I I think that's the right pathway. Once you you, you go to amateur circuit, you become world champion. You know, like win couple tournaments, make the mistakes, learn uh, learn how it works for you because it's super individual. You know, even you uh, it's you have you have a good coach, but and hopefully everyone has, but. It's it's very individual. Even if your coach is guiding you, you're still making some mistakes during preparation. You have to learn how the whole thing work work for you. So and once you figure out uh, during the amateur circuit and uh, it, it you become successful, you know you, you win, you know a couple of big comps. I think that that's the right pathway. I think you don't have anything to do in, in with between professionals if you haven't reached that level. It's just like it's pointless. Now, what's the point to make your mistake on, on why you're a professional mm. and then get hurt? You know, the, my, my understanding to become professionals, you, you want to be a world champion for professionals, right? So what are you doing there if you're, if you're, not, uh, if you're not champion within amateurs? You just, mm. You're just not, not ready yet. Uh, one last question. Uh, what is worth fighting for, for you? Sorry, what was the question? What's your reason to fight? What's worth fighting for? Um, legacy. So um, I'd love to. I, um, with the UFC, the UFC heavyweight belt, it's always known as the baddest man alive. So you know, right now it's Stephen Miocic as the 
the baddest man on the planet kind of thing. Um, I'd love to, if, if that's me winning, you know, a UFC belt and the Bellator belt and the one championship belt and kind of creating that legacy where I'm, I am the baddest man on the planet. That's a nice title to have. That's the title I want. Well, we all my heart, I wish to you, brother, and uh, wish you all yeah. the best. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much for the interview. Cheers. See you around, brother. See you. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Faisal Podcast. Subscribe in your podcast app to receive the next episodes where I talk with other champions and officials after I'm in Fushiania 2020. Stay strong and stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Tambourine Spring World. Visit tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today. Tambourine Spring Water is a local business situated on Mount Tambourine. Their water is bottled at the source on their 163 meter deep privately owned spring. The spring provides access to a free flowing underground stream which is where their premium quality spring water comes from. It then goes through a very strict sediment and UV filtration process to ensure the final product remains both consistent and of brightest quality. It is then bottled and stored until it leaves for the client's home or office. Most water companies in Australia all cut their water from a contractor before being processed and then bottled which leaves lots of room for contamination and foreign bodies entering the water. In Tambourine Springs, it's a matter of minutes from when the water is extracted from the spring into a bottle, which is then sealed and stored into a cool, dark environment. The spring water is naturally bacteria-free and passes all quality tests prior to filtration. Despite that, Tambourine Springs water have one of the strictest filtration systems, so there is no room for error when it comes to your drinking water. They do not add any chemicals whatsoever to the drinking water, the only thing the filters are doing is removing sand and sediments that comes naturally with the water. The three-stage system is there to ensure no bacteria have found its way into the water. When you purchase your water from Tambourine Spring Water, you know you will receive the best spring water Southeast Queensland has to offer from a local family on a mission to provide the best service and quality. Water companies are often blamed with a good reason for polluting the environment with plastic bottles. This is not the case with Tambourine Spring Water. Your water is delivered to your door in 50 or 20 liter bottles and your used bottles are collected, disinfected and refilled again. So zero plastic waste goes into the environment. Me and my family are also using Tambourine Springs Water way before they decided to sponsor this podcast. By experience, once you drink real spring water for a while, you cannot drink from the sink anymore or any commercial waters from the supermarket because it smells bad and has a bad taste. Ridiculously enough, in Australia you can mix 50% of the water with tap water and label and sell it as spring water. This is not the case with Tambourine Springs water. I personally know the family who owns it and I have been numerous times in their small factory to see my water being bottled straight from the spring after the filtration process. Majority of my team also purchased their drinking water from Tambourine Springs Water. Find out more at tambourinesprings.com.au or call 0434-952-449 to order your water today.